You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Well, we should get that on the podcast then. Well, uh, you had a special DM today, Elliot, from someone who's, uh, what's the guy's gentleman's name again? Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to inform you that the role of Jake Ottinger will now be played by Jordan Bennington. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4. Elliot, you're on your way home. It's CarCast style again. Uh, we'll get into both games. Tampa over Florida. They grab a one nothing series lead. But what a performance in the losing effort, albeit, by Jordan Bennington. Colorado wins 3-2 in overtime. Josh Manson with the OT Heroics. But this story tonight was Jordan Bennington, wasn't it, Fridge? No question about it. 13 nothing in overtime. In eight minutes. In eight minutes, Elliot. <laughs> and, and only 40 <laughs> seconds of that was the power play. Like, someone's going to say, oh, they had a power play. Yeah, for 40 seconds. So it's not like it was that much. He was unbelievable. There's no other way of saying it. Colorado looks like a steamroller. Like you look at games like this tonight and you wonder how they ever lose. And the only thing I just kind of wonder about is, and I realize that one thing may have no relevance to the other, but you'll remember last year, Jeff, they were five and oh, they swept St. Louis. They won the first game against Vegas. Yeah. And then it was game two against Vegas where it all started to fall apart. Like, I want to say, I don't see that happening again. Like this thing is a steamroller, but geez, did they look impressive tonight. They really did. There was a whole lot there. So Ryan O'Reilly kicks off the goal scoring. Then Valeri Nachushkin scores. What an exceptional season he's had. Uh, Samuel Gerrard, Jordan Cairo scores a goal that, as one person texted me, only Cairo on this team could score a goal like that. And we get into overtime, and it's Josh Manson with, again, a shot. Like, when you look at, like, I'm always a big fan of the shots from right behind the defenseman. So you get a chance to see what the defenseman can see or see what the puck on the defenseman's stick can see as he's letting it go. I always love that shot behind Nick Lidstrom of the Red Wings. Like, okay, he got that puck through, but look at all the sticks and shin pads and bodies and everything he had to sift it through, and yet he would consistently do it. You look at what Josh Manson had to shoot at, Elliot. There's nothing. He had to get that through this cornfield of bodies in front of him. That was a, a heck of a play. Bennington with another right pad save. Kadri behind the net, Landeskog. High in the zone, Manson takes the shot. Now Manson lets it go. He scores! He scores! Man, oh, Manson! And you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because this party is... 
Ziggler. Manson stopped once, double clutched, let it rip, and he beats Pennington high. And the Avalanche. I don't know whether it was a great play or a lucky shot. One or the other, but it got through, and Josh Manson is your overtime hero. If it was me, I would say it was a great play. <laughs> now, let me ask you one thing about Manson here. It's not really about Manson. It's more about Braden Shen. What did you think of that high-sticking call on, uh, on, on Braden Shen? I look at it this way. I didn't like the holding penalty on Devontae's, so it evened out. That was what I was going to go to as well. The uh, the hold on Barbashev was kind of a, ugh, not a big fan of that one. So I could live with the Braden Shen call right after it. But it's a weird one. Technically, you could call it two minutes for low sticking. Uh, but high sticking is the actual call. You know, the one thing I would say that I liked about the whole thing is that Shen didn't get penalized for his reaction. I think it could have happened. You know, like I said, I, I wasn't crazy about the two penalty calls. I, I would have preferred that neither one was called. However, I will say I've seen situations in sports, not just hockey, but other sports, where a player gets that upset and they get an additional penalty. Mm -hmm. And I was glad that didn't happen. I think you have to understand that sometimes people are going to react like that in the emotion of a game. Now, maybe they go to the teams now and say, look, that was the one time we're going to let it happen. And if it happens again, there will be a penalty. But I just feel in general that I was glad to see that Shen wasn't given an extra two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct in that situation. I think that would have been really cheap. Yes. And Colorado grabs a one nothing series lead in overtime. They've now won five games in a row. Tampa Bay, uh, they draw first blood in the Battle of Florida. Uh, it's a 4-1 to one victory over the Florida Panthers. There's a lot of things in this one, too. And we talked about Jordan Bennington a second ago. Andre Vasilevsky was excellent in this game. Wash, rinse, mm -hmm. repeat. We tend to expect that out of Vasilevsky. But no Braden point in this one. John Cooper decides to go with 11-7. and seven. Your thoughts on what we saw in the Battle of Florida game one? I wonder if that goes down as a game in a series that the Panthers look back and really regret. They had a bit more rest. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But, you know, they were at home. They had a, an excited crowd. You know, the game was really sleepy. It didn't have a lot of energy to it, I thought, early on. And I think when you're the home team, it's incumbent on you to get the energy going. And, you know, we talked on the last podcast about how maybe Washington gave the blueprint to slowing down Florida. Well, Tampa, what did Tampa do? They kept the game at a crawl's pace. They didn't really attack so much. They they let you know Florida come to them, particularly early on, and they just gummed up the game. I mean, the Florida power play is astonishingly bad. I think if you're the Panthers, you really look at that one as one that got away. You had a bit more rest. You were at home. You let them dictate the tempo earlier on. And I give a lot of credit to Kucherov. I thought he was excellent. There was something wrong with him in the Toronto series. Some people suspect that he was sick. You know, he made Florida sick tonight. First shift, he goes and he runs at Giroux. And yeah. the moves he made, you know, Jeff, I know how much you love Ekblad. I couldn't believe what he did to Ekblad on that one move. And then the pass to Perry. 
Yeah, but the Lightning fill in left circle. Markov shorthanded. Centers it and got knocked away by Vasilevsky. Goal, goal. A counter for Kutrov. Kutrov at the left side of the red line. Across the blind. Makes a move left circle. Open. Centers it. Score! Corey Perry! But what a move by Kucherov! <laughs> what a play. And it is 1-1 with 3.38 left in the period. As many times as I get teed off at this guy, he comes through like this, okay? I mean, the play to start the power play, first of all, to draw the penalty, and that yeah. one, the same move. I mean, he made a move around Ekblad. It was unbelievable, the move. And then he spots Perry, and Perry just... Redirects it into the wide open cage. Yeah, he could have stick handled that into the oh, net. Oh, what a play, my cooch. That pass to Perry was just gorgeous. I mean, everybody bit. Everybody was chomping down, and then he just slid it over to Perry, who puts in like a, a ball hockey tap in. Like, that's the easiest goal of, of, of Corey Perry's career. He, he was outstanding. Kucherov was next level in game one. You know, one of the moments that really killed the crowd and killed any kind of momentum that Florida was gathering. That second Anthony Duclair goal, the goal that was called back because the puck went into the netting, it seemed like at that point, everything just fizzled. After that goal was called back, Elliot, everything just fizzled for the Florida Panthers. Did you feel that way too? Well, I would agree with that. It definitely took some air out of them. It was such a weird play, Jeff, in the sense that nobody could really figure out what happened. Bieksa thought it was a stanchion goal. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. We've got to roll the game five tape against San Jose again. Yeah. Uh, we, we, <laughs> some padding on the back. And then they showed a great replay that indicated it was the netting. Yeah. One thing I hadn't realized, Jeff, and I usually try to be on top of these things, but the rule kind of changed. And right now, with the change they made in 2019-20, you can ask for any play that should have been blown dead to be reviewed. But it used to be, it depended on if you passed it or shot it in directly. Like there was a difference between puck comes off netting and you shoot it in directly or you passed it and then someone shot it in. Mm -hmm. So I kind of forgotten about that, but this was one of those things that we didn't want to see anymore. Like that kind of a goal shouldn't count. And the call was right, but I have to tell you, I agree with you. It did suck the air out of the building. Although, again, I don't think there was a lot of air in the building. I thought Tampa did a really good job of slowing that game down from the beginning. Tampa grabs a uh, one nothing series lead there. Tuesday was an interesting day um, full of press conferences, whether it was you know Toronto or Minnesota or Boston and, and Pittsburgh. And we'll go over all of those here in a couple of seconds and some interesting things to chew on now. But something you mentioned earlier on today on Twitter, and that was Barry Trotz and the Winnipeg Jets having a discussion today. Your thoughts? I don't think anybody is surprised that this happened. Like the Jets fans want Barry Trotz. They have made it very clear that they would like their native son to come home. They are prepared to ha have a province-wide fundraising drive to contribute towards it. Well, half of that may be untrue. All proceeds from tonight's 50-50 go to the uh, pocketbook of Barry Trotz. <laughs> the upcoming Barry Trotz contract. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not even convinced it was in Winnipeg. It might have been elsewhere. I couldn't nail that down. But they met with him today, and I'm sure that Barry Trotz is getting the lay of the land. Like, I don't know if he's got any other 
interviews scheduled. I don't know that. I just heard about this one today. But I have heard that Philly is very interested. There are people who suspect that Vegas is interested. What also has come across my desk or my bandwidth, I guess would be another way of saying it, is that I think Nashville has considered if you want to move into management, there might be something here for you. And one of the things that I do think is part of this is does Trotz want to coach? Does he want to go right into management? Does he want to have a deal that says we'll coach for a little bit, but eventually I want to go into management? Like, I think Philly wants him to coach. I think Winnipeg wants him to coach. I think Nashville has a coach, so I think they could be interested in a different role. If it was Vegas, I got to think it's a coach too. But there are people who said to me they're not convinced he wants a long commitment as a coach, if at all. So I think all of that is what we're going through right now, and I don't know if I expect an immediate decision. Of course, after I say that, there'll probably be something on Wednesday morning, but I just think there's a process here and that we're just going through it. You know, Elliot, hearing you talk about Barry Trotz and the potential for a management position, just as an aside, you know who I've always felt that way about as well? Who's that? I don't know if he'd want this, but I'm sure he's certainly capable of doing it and has the right temperament for it. I've always wondered if Paul Maurice ends up in management. That's a great call, too. I've always wondered if he ends up in a management position somewhere. Like, I know he's, you know, stepped away this year with the Winnipeg Jets. We understand it. And being a coach, we all understand the stresses that come along with it to the point where, you know, you want to ask these people, like, why do you do this? You know, there are no off days. You're first to the rank. You're last to leave. This consumes your Like, I understand the calling and how much of a passion these guys have for it. But I've always wondered about Paul and management. Like he's a really thoughtful guy. He knows the insides and outsides of the, this industry. He's been involved forever. You ever wondered about Paul Maurice in that spot, in a spot like that? I think it's a great call. The thing that's really interesting to me about all this is I was having a conversation, Jeff, with a manager who's looking for a coach. And he said to me, he can't believe how many candidates there are. Oh. He just said, like, look at it. He said, you could fill all, like, let's just say all 32 teams needed a coach right now. He said, you could fill all 32 jobs and still have some good candidates left over. Mm -hmm. Because he says, you take, first of all, just all the former head coaches that are looking. And then you add in the up and comers. And then you add in just fresh faces NHL assistants, NHL coaches. He said there, there are so many people out there. Claude Julien, 62 years old. He coached the Olympic team, and now he's coaching the world championship team. He wants to coach. Yeah. I've heard Randy Carlisle wants to get back in. He's 66. You know, Mike Babcock, what's his future going to be? What I'm curious about is some of these people aren't going to get coaching jobs. So to your point, do they look for other roles? I, I think it's a very good question. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view. 
the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. To some of the press conferences we saw and heard on Tuesday, and we're going to have to, we're going to ask you here to get out your, your Toronto Maple Leafs decoder ring uh, because there, it wasn't as if there was a whole lot of, you know, big news coming out of either Shanahan, Keefe, or Dubas, but there's usually something you just have to read in between the lines. Like, Brendan Shanahan came out and essentially said, You know, Kyle built a uh, very good hockey team. I think he made excellent adjustments along the way. And I think uh, Sheldon is an excellent coach. As we look forward to next year and getting to work toward next year, I think it's important to sort of state that, that I see both of them as being uh, extremely important in getting us to the next level so that uh, when we do approach next year and we do come back, that we are ready to take that next step. The one thing that Keefe said, which I thought was really interesting, and he kind of used it as just a throwaway, but to me it was a pretty big statement. And he said it early. He said, you know, this was a team that is we're not afraid, not afraid of, of losing. I think that's a huge statement by that coach about that team. And it seemed as if Kyle Dubas wanted to make sure he didn't light any fires, that he didn't make any headlines. You know, the job of this of this press conference for Dubas was to make sure that he didn't start any fires, controlled or otherwise. How did you see these three pressers on Tuesday? Jeff, like I went back and I listened to last year's press conference after they lost to Montreal because I wanted to just kind of compare them. You know, how does last year compare to this year? And I really thought, Jeff, that the what they said really wasn't that different. But the tone of it, I thought, was very different. Last year, they came out. If you'll remember, the first thing Brandon Shanahan said was. Before I take questions, I just want to make a few points. First off, I want, to, I want to talk directly to our fans. We understand the disappointment that everybody feels year in, year out. The support that we get from you is, is so uh, vitally important and so appreciated by us and the team in every year. This year in particular, with the restrictions that are going on around the world, uh, but specifically here in Ontario and Toronto, we really wanted to be a... a a beacon of happiness uh, for you. Uh, we want to do that for you every year, uh, but certainly this year was even more important for the players. Um, so starting with me, Kyle Dubas, our management staff, our coaching staff, and all of our players, uh, we take responsibility for disappointing you and letting you down and not getting the job done. And there was, I don't know if you want to use defiance. I don't know if you want to use emotion, but there was something really powerful in his voice about it. Like they were really, really passionate 
and understanding how everyone felt. They defended their players and they were really passionate in their comments. I didn't find today's comments in terms of voice tone passionate. I thought they were more businesslike, matter of fact. So while the words in some cases might have been the same, I didn't feel the same emotion. And to me, that was the key. That was the difference. And so when I look at this, this to me says they're going to think of some things. They're going to look into some things. They're going to consider some things. On the other day, I, we called it the summer of Kauai. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to look at some stuff. And again, I don't know if they're going to do it, but remember, Masai Ujiri, who Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas know really well, said, DeMar DeRozan's stay. And not long after, he was gone. Now, Dubas, you notice he didn't say core four. He talked about our group. Like, to me, that's subtle, but noteworthy. They're going to consider some stuff this year. I don't care what they said today. They're going to look into some things. And I would not be surprised if they do something that kind of throws us on our head a little bit. To me, that was listening to Dubas specifically. I got the sense that, and I think ruthless is too strong a word because it almost sounds like, you know, clinical as you, you go about your business and completely non-emotional, non-emotionally determined perspective from Dubas. I think clinical is a good way of looking at it. I don't say this to you often, but I think that's a really good word. I have words. I have words. I read a dictionary. I think that's a great word because I think that's the way they're going to look at it. I think they know, Jeff, that you can't come back the same way. They might believe in their group, but that doesn't mean they believe in everybody there. And they can't hold this off anymore. It's barbarians at the gate. That message doesn't work anymore. I think a lot of their players got better. I told you I don't think this loss is, a, is as egregious as some of the other ones. But, you know, I still have people in business saying to me, when you have six bad quarters in a row or six bad years in a row, you know what happens? You know what happens. And I think they know that. I think they know how their fan base feels. And I think they see it themselves. Something's going to change I don't think they're going to blow it up by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they're going to change something. Let's shift to the Pittsburgh Penguins here quickly. Um, okay, Elliot, let's play a game. It's called Who Said It? You tell me which player said this today. Okay. Quote, I feel like I've played to a higher level than what my contract said the last few years. Uh, this is a good one because I didn't specifically hear this one. I am going to say that is Chris Letang. Brian Rust. You know what? That was my second choice. Now, he did also intimate that he was looking for something that was fair. Uh, I always find that word interesting because I've never heard a player come out and say, yeah, I want to take a team to the cleaners. 
Um, everyone just looks for fair. Yeah. Um, and said he'd like to get something worked out with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think a lot of people look at that skeptically, but we shall see. And a lot of talk about and with Yevgeny Malkin, a lot of talk again, more about Chris Letang. How did you see Pittsburgh Day today, Elliot? The stuff I saw, and I watched some of it, and I confess I didn't watch Rust, which is why I didn't get the answer <laughs> to the question. The one guy I'd like to give some real credit to is Latang, just in the way he said, look, I made a deal and I'm not going to talk about it. To me, that's a group that knows it's probably over. I think you always hold out against hope that it will change, but I think they know it's probably over. Like, for example, you know, Rob Rossi's reporting on Monday. You know, I'm not going to knock another reporter. I'm not. I know what it's like to report these things. When I've reported about negotiations before, I know what it's like to have team call you or an agent call you and say that's just bs or you're not right or you don't know what you've just done here and i can imagine in the aftermath of that game and i saw the penguins push back about the crosby situation in game six i can just only imagine because I know I've had teams and agents and people yell at me before what that can do to a team and the players involved because you're emotional. You've just lost a playoff series. Your season's over. All those guys really care. Like those guys really care. These are cornerstone players in many of these cases and the fans really care. And any little morsel can be flammable. Like they just inflame people. And so I can only imagine when that reporting came out that just the passions that that ignited in the market and the team and the players and everybody involved. So Rossi reported that the offers to Malkin and Latang were three times five each. All I can say about Malkin, and I wrote this on Tuesday, is that I heard there was, there was a three-year offer for Malkin. They were willing to tie it in with Crosby's term. I just heard the money was not close. That whatever Pittsburgh was thinking and whatever Malkin and his rep, J.P. Barry, was thinking, they just weren't in the same area code. The only thing I ever heard about Latang recently was there had been something on the table at four years, less than what Latang is making now. Now he's at seven two five. I tried to find out what that meant. Was it was it six? Was it seven? All I could ever hear was it was something lower, but reasonably close to what he'd been making. I just think that with the emotion of the forty eight to seventy two hours after the season, I know that that's going to be trouble because. Everyone's going to be looking for, like, how did that get out, right or wrong? And even the stuff I talked about, which, you know, obviously wasn't as in detail as what Rob mentioned, everybody's going to be on a hunt for how that got out because everybody's emotional. And I just think it makes everything harder. And people have screamed at me before <laughs> to say the stuff you do makes things harder. 
Crosby spoke as well, was asked how long he's planning to play in the NHL, and he answered. Yeah, I mean, three, three for sure. Um, and then we'll see after that. I mean, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but three definitely. So glad to hear that Gino said three and Tanger said five plus probably. So not surprised either at either of those answers. Those are pretty much par for the course right there, but um, glad that. Uh, like, you know, we're at a time right now, we're wondering about guys like uh, Bergeron. I'm starting to see my adulthood pass before my eyes, Jeff. And I really don't like it. I have to tell you. Remember, I remember that draft so well and how they all looked like children. <laughs> oh man. Like Patrice Bergeron. I was thinking about it today. That was my first year at hockey night in Canada. Oh, three Oh four. That was Patrice Bergeron's yeah. rookie season. We actually interviewed him twice in a game, which almost never happens. But I'm hearing Crosby say that. I'm seeing Bergeron thinking about what he's going to do. And I don't like this. I'm against this. I'm against Chara leaving too. <laughs> I, I don't like seeing these people retire. Ryan Getzlaff and Dustin Brown. and <laughs> I totally respect that you can make your own decision and you should not be making these decisions based on me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I... It, it, even hearing Crosby say three more years, I'm like, three more years? That's all we get to watch in this? Like, that's kind of sad. A couple more things here. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, Bill Guerin um, saying that he'd like to sign Marc-Andre Fleury and would like to have him and Talbot back as the goaltending duo in Minnesota. Thoughts on that one? Well, first of all, I'd like to give credit to the Wild and Cam Talbot for sorting this out like adults, at least the way it sounded. Like, I think everybody here has to give Talbot and his family a bit of a pass. If I was in charge, that's what I would do. I would just say, look, like, I know it didn't work out the way you wanted. And I know that wasn't easy. And that game, you weren't set up to be successful. And that's on us. But I would also say that we gave you a three-year deal at a time when a lot of people would have said we were crazy because we believe in you. And that's how I would sort that out. And, you know, the whole thing with Kelly Talbot and her tweets, I think there's times you have to realize that spouses are in it with you, with their partners, and also with the team. I don't think you'd want that to happen all the time. For example, Jeff, like one day when I write my book, I will tell a story about a partner of mine who didn't like something that was said online about me and what they did. And I said to them, I really appreciate that, but please don't do that again. <laughs> but I really appreciate that, that you were there for me. So I think you have to understand that, that the wives go through it with the players. You just don't make it a habit, but you know, that's the number one thing. I think this seems to have been handled very well and very maturely and, I really have great respect for that. For me, the thing with Flurry is, does he want to go to Pittsburgh one more time? Do they want him there? You know, I think that's going to be a big lure for him. You know, but that obviously has to work out too. I mean, I can see it either way. I could see it Minnesota. I could see it Pittsburgh. And I'm sure there's going to be other opportunities for him too. There's something else I wanted to ask you about Minnesota. Mention you about Minnesota. You have been talking a lot about how the Wild are going to need to make a deal 
that brings them some good players on ELCs. Yes. I got a text from someone on Tuesday who said to me, that screams Kings. They have a lot of prospects, bud. That pipeline is and we, full. And we talked about how they're going to be looking for sports. Here's, here's the thing about LA. Yeah, we've discussed this before. They have a ton of prospects. The Ontario reign is full of them. Uh, the junior ranks are full of them, and that's headlined by Brant Clark of the Barry Cole. There are a lot of prospects with the Los Angeles Kings. I saw you write that in your notes. That is bang on, Elliot. Like, I, I think of you often, Jeff, and uh, I thought of you as I wrote that. Let's wrap up the podcast after those very thoughtful and, and tender words about me there, Elliot. That'll, that'll help me sleep tonight. Let me ask you about what Bruce Cassidy had to say about Jake DeBrusque. Listen, we all know about the trade request. That story is well told all season long. And Bruce Cassidy essentially said, look. Yeah, the conversation was, I thought, big picture, we all came together and, and have a real positive finish for Jake. The player, the teammates, uh, the organization, the staff, we, we all, you know, made it work. But he's the player. He does the work, the most work. And I, I, I congratulate on a great finish, a new contract. Um, we didn't get too specific on where it goes from here, Matt, because I think that's between him and his representative and, and Donnie. Um, like I said, I thought he did a great job in the circumstance, did as much for that line as they did for him. It was a real good situation. Came to play hard every night. Um, like I said, I was proud of the way he played, and, and he should be too. Um, where it goes from here, again, it'd be speculation on my part, but um, it was a good finish. Like, I was making the point on the radio show today that trade requests must be difficult for players to make um, because you know you're going into the manager and saying, I don't want to be part of this team anymore. And I would imagine yeah. in the back of a player's mind, you're thinking, okay, how are my teammates going to treat me now? You know, like there have been players that have uh, signed offer sheets and then gone back to their team and the reception has been frosty. Like, oh, you tried to leave and now you're coming back. But wait a minute. No, no, it's just business. No, it's not. You tried to leave. You're not really part of this team. And I would imagine when you make a trade request, you know, the knee jerk from a lot of players might be the same thing. Oh, that guy doesn't want to be here. That guy wants out. So it's a really sensitive time, I figure, for a player. And yeah. that can provide another hurdle for a player throughout a season or a roadblock or just make it just make life more difficult. And I was thinking about a lot about Jake DeBrus this year. Every time I'd watch Boston play, I'm like, okay, can you see anything in here? Like, okay, is he straight legging that back check? Is he working as hard? Like all those things you you look at. And I saw none of it. I don't think that anybody saw any of it. I think that was a really honest season turned in by Jake DeBrusque. And I was glad that Bruce Cassidy recognized that today. Yeah, I agree with you. I also had heard that they made sure to tell, not only say it publicly, but apparently they told him that privately too. Like they made sure that he got the message, not just through the media, he got it from them directly. As Cassidy kind of hinted, they've asked him to reconsider the trade request and, and he told them he would go home and think about it. You know, it's kind of a funny thing now, Jeff. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko made a trade request and he played and had a great season for St. Louis. Ilya Mikheyev had a trade request. He had a great regular season for Toronto. 
Um, so teams are kind of starting to take a bit of a line with this kind of thing. But they've asked him, you know, would you be willing to reconsider? And he'll think about it. But, you know, the one thing I heard is, and I did reach out to somebody I, I know on that team. And what they said to me was, first of all, the players understood. Like, they understood. But secondly, what they told me was that to the younger players on the team, it was kind of a revelation to them that just how much better he felt that he got his frustration off his chest. That he felt that DeBrusque played better because his mind was clear. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Like they said, whatever happens, Jake DeBrusque got his feelings out there. They thought it was like a weight off his shoulders. That's excellent. And as we mentioned, DeBrusque had a really nice season. We'll see what happens in the offseason here, if it gets uh, worked out or if the trade request gets accommodated. With that, taking us out, Elliot, you'll like this. Nice. From our Amazon Music 32 Tracks playlist is a Portland-based singer-songwriter who just dropped his 10th studio album. John Craigie has been mixing rock and folk for years and has earned acclaim from some of the top music publications. From his 2020 record, Asterix the Universe, here's John Craigie with Part Wolf on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I got that damn American meanness. Sweet mama was a Los Angelina. Sweet daddy told me all about my weakness. How deep it will go. Oh, you ask me if I have any regrets. Mm -hmm. What kind of life you live in having no regrets? You tell your story, but you ain't got no climax. You best get back in the ring. Mm -hmm. And learn how to bleed. Now, cause it's part of woe. It's part island and it's part cold. It's part violence. I got my head inches from me wherever I go. It's part of love. It's part demon and it's part roots. It's part leaving. You don't know the hell. But having your hair is so close. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse remember that reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences see things and be part of events we all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view the best safe view and they all had to stay somewhere and many used airbnb i want to share something with you i was once told one of the wisest things you can do when you host an airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.